my hope today is to have this short and and hopefully sweet for us as we remember Jesus this Christmas. There are so many things competing for our attention, so many stress factors of uh, gifts, of decorations, uh, so many traditions that we have. Uh, we have mandarins, the Christmas dinner, and how we open up the gifts and so on and so forth. Uh, but I want us to take just a few minutes and to center in on the greatest gift of all. And this is very different from what we hear. Uh, for instance, you know, I, as I'm thinking about Jesus and the birth of our Savior, I'm thinking about sort of the popular Christmas songs today, like talking about Santa Claus, knowing when you're sleeping, knowing when you're awake, you better be good, you better watch out, you know, and, and then he's going to give you the good gift once you earn it. And just how different our message is that this, this gift of a savior to a world necessitates not good kids, but bad kids that, that need a savior. And that makes this message so awesome and so sweet. So here we are on Christmas Eve, this time of year when we celebrate the, the birth of our savior. And I want to just take a few moments to dwell on the magnificent awesomeness that Jesus is awesomeness. I don't, I don't know. I'm just creating words now, uh, but words cannot describe how awesome God is. And let's pray and let's uh, jump into just a short devotional here today. Father, I pray that as we gather with our families this Christmas, as we have sweet, sweet times of fellowship with one another, as we study your word, as we remember the eternal hope that we have, may we grow in thankfulness and joy and hope this Christmas, not because of all the nice things that we get to do, all the nice dinners, hanging out with family and so on, but the eternal hope that we have that doesn't change with circumstances. Uh, even as I know some people People go through Christmas and it's it's a difficult time for them because they're remembering a family member that's not there anymore, maybe an empty chair or maybe something like that. But may we remember the eternal hope that doesn't change with ever-changing circumstances. May we remember your son, Jesus Christ, and the amazing gift of your grace. Father, build us up as we go into this new year. Help us love you more, appreciate you more, enjoy you more and love like you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been blessed by a lot of diversity in our church with people from all over the world, from different places and different holiday traditions. Uh, it doesn't matter for us if you wake up early on the 25th to celebrate Christmas or like uh, most Icelanders do, they celebrate late on the 24th. My hope is for all of us to remember the greatest gift of all that is Jesus Christ. And I want to read from Matthew chapter one for our little devotional here today. Um, but hopefully it'll be something that gets your mind on Jesus and the, the greatest gift of all. God taking on flesh to rescue us from ourselves. Very different from the moralism we hear in other religions, in other philosophies, uh, in other Christmas stories even. Uh, because this Savior is here particularly to save the bad people. Like Jesus would later on say in his life, uh, the, the, it's not the healthy that need a physician, it's the, it's the sick. And so he came to save the sick and to seek the lost. Christmas is crowded 
there's a lot of traditions and things things that are competing for the spotlight for Christmas, be it gifts, be it the, the Santa Claus or the Eula Lodge or the food or the family or the decorations, the Christmas trees and on and on the list goes of things that people do. But let's recalibrate here for a few minutes and just remember what is truly the substance that makes Christmas so joyful, so hopeful, and so amazing. It is Jesus Christ that is that substance. So I want to read to us here. Um, let's see if I can do this right now. Uh, yeah, there you go. Forgot to set that up. But let's read together Matthew 1. Uh, 18. I'm sorry about that little bar down there. Um, yeah, it says here now the birth, uh, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when, uh, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, today, for our little sermonette or devotional, I want to do something different this Christmas. I don't want to talk about Jesus at all. I want to stop right here. From here on out, we're not going to talk about Jesus, but I do want to talk about another guy. Joshua. Yeah, it's, it's, just bear with me. It's a radical idea. I'm not talking about Jesus on Christmas, but bear with me. I want to talk about Joshua, and I'm not talking about the Old Testament Joshua either. This Joshua was actually born around 2,000 years ago in the same town as Jesus. Like, did you know that? Have you heard of this Joshua character? He went on to become a traveling preacher. His, his life really aligns with Jesus in so many different ways. He gathered 12 disciples who traveled with him until he, like Jesus, also caught the eye of the authorities and they hated him like they hated Jesus. And he also was crucified like Jesus on the very same day as Jesus, but for a lot of people, they have never heard about this Joshua character, even though his life parallels the life of Jesus in such close manner and such close ways. Now, if you haven't caught on, Jesus actually is Joshua. Did you know that? Jesus, as we call him today, Jesus Christ, is actually the Greek transliteration of his Hebrew name. That Hebrew name is Yeshua, and uh, that, that would translate to Joshua in English. So, in fact, if you want to call Jesus closer to his Hebrew name, you would call him Joshua the Christ 
which just sounds so strange in our ears, right? Or actually, Christ is a Greek word too, so you, you would call him something like Joshua the Messiah. Yeshua, when transferred over to the Greek, becomes Jesus, and today in English, we call him Jesus, not Joshua or Yeshua or anything else. We, we know him mostly as Jesus. Like, but it is interesting, for example, if you read the book of Hebrews, which is uh, written in Greek, uh, when he's talking about Joshua in the Old Testament in chapter 4, he actually calls him Jesus in Greek. And so this is the given name of Jesus is Yeshua or Joshua. But all this has a point. You, you may be thinking to yourself, okay, Gunnar, we get it. You're a nerd. You like the Bible. All this has a point. This is not just sort of fun fact moments for us here today. There's a reason for why I'm, I'm bringing this up. Because in our text today, we find ourselves in a story. We find ourselves in a real and raw story with real people, real places, real problems, and real feelings. Now, Mary is pregnant, and like our text says, she's a virgin. This doesn't happen every Wednesday, right? This doesn't happen at all. In fact, it's happened once in human history. And Joseph and Mary are engaged, uh, a little bit more than engaged, they're betrothed, which is a little more serious than engagement in our modern context. But they're not legally married yet, and they haven't, uh, what does our text say today? They haven't um, been with one another. So that's a nice way to put it, I guess. They haven't been with one another yet, but she's pregnant. And she's claiming she's still a virgin. She's still been faithful to Joseph. And this, of course, creates problems as it would be for anybody. And in Joseph's mind, there are two possible solutions to this problem. Number one, I divorce her in the public manner. I shame her. I ruin her reputation. I shame her before her family and her friends and her community. Or... Do I divorce her and leave her quietly and subtly, 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 <laughs> subtly, so that she can move on with her life and her reputation isn't ruined, her life isn't ruined, and he is about to plan to divorce her quietly, as the text says. In his mind, there was no third way out of this, because in his mind, she's been unfaithful even before the marriage starts. There's no way he wants to spend the rest of his life with her. But as in so many cases throughout scripture, God enters in, he breaks through the wall, he provides the third way, he does the impossible. Um, you know, this is really the, the first gender reveal party uh, that has ever been conducted in history and there's no balloons, there's no confetti, but there is an epic angel giving the announcement. It's like, Joseph, do not worry about this. This is God's doing. You're going to have a son. Mary has been faithful to you. It's going to be a son surprise, you know, and uh, he's going to, he's going to be the savior of the world. He's come here to save people from their sins. So when Joseph thought there were only two possible decisions to be made, God announces that Mary has been faithful, that this is God's doing. And he gives him a name for his son. That's about to be born Jesus or Joshua. 
Now, for the last few weeks, what we've been doing as our church is we've been dwelling in Isaiah chapter 9 about the prophecy about the coming son and the various titles given to Jesus. And they are epic titles like Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. This is pointing to the fact that Jesus, the promised Messiah, is something more than just an impressive human being. This is God taking on flesh, and that's what we celebrate for Christmas. But as it is Christmas, I want us now to focus on his actual earthly name and that title and what that means. That is why it matters that you know that his Hebrew name is Yeshua, because his Hebrew name means God saves. And he actually goes into that in in, in verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of his earthly ministry, his earthly life, he's walking around with this title, people calling him God saves, God saves. Whenever they call out Jesus, they call out God saves. That's amazing because it reminds us if God saves, you don't save yourself. It's not like uh, the Christmas stories with Santa Claus or anything else, the moralism of other faiths. It's not be impressive enough for God, be impressive enough for paradise, and you will earn your salvation. If God saves, you don't save yourself by your good works. If this story is all about God saving us, it necessitates that we actually need saving. That's the prerequisite for entering our faith to admit that we're broken, to admit that we're not perfect, to come before God and say, you save. This breaks down our sinful tendencies to try to put on a, a face, to polish up and try to impress God. Because ultimately, God here in our text is not entering his creation to be impressed. He is entering his creation to save Now, long before this pandemic hit the world, some of us were experts in wearing a mask, right? We were experts at pretending like everything was fine, to pretending to hide the cracks, to hide um, the flaws in our nature through a thinly veiled facade. And it's just maybe a heavy burden that you've been carrying, pretending to be someone to your friends, pretending to be someone else to your family. We are experts in wearing a mask. Only now we see it because of the pandemic. Some of us have tried to keep up a facade for years or decades, hoping to earn God's love or somehow fool him when we can't. We can't fool God. He knows. We can't earn his love. That's why we need grace. And grace is him loving us anyway forgiving us anyway. Now, this thinking of trying to impress God, to try to polish up, to look nice, to try to impress him, it slips into how even how many people, how many Christians view the church service when we gather together. Some people have told me that they have stopped coming to our services, for instance, because I refuse to wear a suit or Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't really refuse to. Actually, I kind of like suits. But um, yeah, they're like, man, you you have to wear a suit every Sunday. 
and because you're not wearing a suit, I'm not going to be in, in your services anymore. And when I ask them about why that is, it's like, well, I grew up with the idea that you go to church to, you know, you basically, you give your best to God. This is you showing respect to God and showing that you care. And yeah, I get that. But somehow, like I, I grew up thinking similarly, but in my mind, it wasn't necessarily about, uh, about uh, respecting God. It was about trying to pretend I was not broken, trying to pretend like my heart was okay, trying to pretend like I didn't actually need a savior. So it was me trying to impress God. And first of all, like, why suits? Why, why, why is God like 1950s fashion was, you know, was one of my questions that just rings in my mind again and again. Secondly, God is not going to be impressed by my suit when he knows my sinful heart. You know, that's like spraying perfume on a pile of poop and, and, and calling it nice. It, it's just not going to work. And, uh, and thirdly, gathering for worship, when we gather, it's not about me impressing God. It's about us, the church, being impressed by what he has done, who he is. We are not here to impress God. We are here to be impressed by God. We are here to be impressed that God saves when we don't, when we didn't, uh, when he didn't have to, when he could have easily just seen our sinful tendencies, when he could have seen, oh, my creation has rejected me, and I'm gonna give them what they want, eternity without me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna banish them to hell for eternity. When he could have justly done that, if he was simply a just judge, he could have easily done that and been perfectly in the right to do so, yet he comes to save us when he doesn't have to. He takes on the name of God saves. How beautiful is this message? We can be impressed and worship him because if God saves, I don't need to find my identity in other people. Because God saves, I don't need my you know, to build my hope or my joy and what the government does or what the vac when the vaccine gets here or how my job is going or how impressive I am or how, how my bank account is doing, whatever else we find our identity in. We don't have to find our identity in that because God saves. And because God saves, I can look back and I can know that if I have Jesus, even if it costs me all of my friends, all of my reputation, all the popularity in the world, even if it costs me my own life, I will still consider it gain because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is worth it. Now, this little devotional today is simply a reminder that as you gather with your families, as you open up variously, uh, various impressive gifts, your greatest gift is what God has already done through Jesus Christ. There is no one who can outgive him. And there is no way that we can ever pay him back for what he's done. Because even if I spend the rest of my life using every single breath I have to, to worship him, it is breath that he gave me. Even if I use my bodily functions to serve him and serve other people, he gave me the gift of this body to use. 
I will always be indebted to God. We will always be indebted to God. We will never be able to repay him for this. But this is grace. This is what grace means. If you work for grace, it's not grace. That's simply you getting your pay. And that's not how this works. First of all, if you're out there and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to draw your attention to verse 22 in Matthew 1. Believe it or not, I, I, I was not a follower of Jesus for many years. Actually, I wasn't a follower of Jesus until I turned 21 years old. I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of doubts. But here in verse 21, it says, let me just put it on the screen again. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. You may have heard me before saying that God saves, and you may have been thinking about multiple areas of life where God could save you in. Maybe you you know, thought it would be cool if he saved you from the consequences of some bad spending habits. You know, maybe you were wondering if he could save you from a bad job or a bad relationship or a bad home or a bad year. Ultimately, you will find that the human heart, no matter what is fixed around us, your heart is still going to be unsatisfied unless the most important saving happens, happens. Unless we are saved from our sins, unless our relationship with God is restored your soul will be hungering for something more. Even when all the, relation, uh, the wrong relationships are cut off from your life, and the right And sorry about the computer problems. There we dropped in again. But here I was saying, even you, even when you've got money in your bank or better things, or even when you get a relatively good year from a human perspective, it will not solve your greatest problem. It's as if you sat in a prison and you had chains on your hands and your feet and you had three wishes and you were guaranteed that whatever you wished for, you were going to get. And you use those wishes to ask for more money, better house, and a better car. And then that's done. You're still there in the jail cell, not being able to enjoy any of the things that you wished for. And that is the problem. Most of us, when we think about things that we need to be saved from, you know, maybe some mistakes that we've done in the past and so on and so forth, unless this fundamental issue is resolved, you're not going to enjoy any of it. Your soul is going to be hungering for something more. You're going to be that guy in prison who has all these nice things out there, but he can't enjoy them because he's got chains on his legs and his hands. Unless this underlying problem is resolved, that our sins need to be blotted out. Our relationship with God needs to be restored. That's what we're created for. Unless that's taken care of, Everything else doesn't matter. What you truly need is to be saved from yourself. Your sin. 
that drives you away from God, who is the source of life, who is the light of the world. And what happens when, when you start avoiding the source of light while darkness takes over? What happens when you start avoiding or running away from the source of life while death takes over, destruction takes over? So why are we so surprised as we keep running away from God? Our souls are yet unsatisfied. If you're out there and you're not a Christian, maybe you're tuning in because this is Christmas and maybe this is a good time to be thinking about religious things or something like that. Let me tell you, run to Christ. You haven't lived until you run to Christ. What you truly need is Jesus. And you don't need to just pepper a little Jesus on your life. You need Joshua. You need God saving you. That's what you need. That's what all of us need. And I'm not trying to put myself up on a high horse here and pretend that I'm somehow impressive and I didn't need saving. That's the prerequisite for our faith. Everyone in our faith should be humble because we realize that we are saved by grace. That's the amazing gift that we celebrate this Christmas. For you out there who are a follower of Jesus, this poses a challenge to us. Because we must remember that Jesus is our Savior, and we must worship Him for it and celebrate Him for it. But He's also a role model. He's also our example. And as we refer to ourselves as followers of Jesus, He is the one that leads the way in how we should live. So just as Jesus took on flesh at great cost to Himself, at great discomfort to Himself, as he sacrificed to love people, even the ones who despised and rejected him, we are called to this same radical love. We are called to love differently than this world, driven by a higher motive, a higher example. In a world that says, you know, I'll, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, we need to radically love without expectations of being you know, re, re, of them returning the favor. As, as we dwell on the sacrifice, the humility, the love of Jesus, we must be challenged to love him for it and to love like Jesus. So this Christmas, maybe a good question to ask ourselves is what opportunities do I have to not only marvel at the love of Jesus, but also to love like Jesus? And lastly, I leave us with this. As we go into a new year, keep reminding yourself of the beautiful name of Jesus, Joshua. God saves. Remind yourself that this is true. Right? And, and it has to seep from our heads to, yeah, I know this is true. God saves. Yes and amen. It, it has to go from our heads to our hearts so that we actually feel it. If, if you're out there, you're a follower of Jesus, and you know you deal with a hyperinflated ego, with a very high view of yourself, with pride that runs rampant, just remember just remember, you're not as impressive as your mom told you you were, right? When you compare yourself to the perfect God of the universe, you realize you have failed in so many significant ways. Crucify your ego, crucify your flesh and your inflated ego by reminding yourself of this. God saves. 
That means I need saving. I need it saving and I continue needing it. If you deal with a sense of shame, maybe you're the complete opposite and your ego is definitely not inflated, but you keep dealing with this sense of baggage on your shoulder, this shame or anxiety or fear always hanging over you. And you're hyper aware of all the ways you've messed up, all the ways you've said the wrong things and done the wrong things. The same applies to you. If you're dealing with depression about this, your sinful tendency. We must remind ourselves of the same truth. God saves. God saves. This is God's story. He is the most valuable player, MVP. He is the, the star of this show, right? It's not me. It's not you. It's Jesus. Also, if you're out there and you're praying for your children to come to faith, Maybe you're praying for your friends to come to faith, maybe your family. And it seems like anytime you got opportunities to tell them about Jesus, you just fumble over your words, or maybe you don't get the opportunities at all, or maybe just things don't look like anything is going to happen in the next future. Their hearts are hard. They don't want to listen. They seem to have no interest in hearing about Jesus or why this is such good news. Remember this, you don't save them. God saves. God saves. So this Christmas, let us thank God this Christmas. Let us thank God that he saves. And so he has, through Jesus, saved us by dying our death on that cross so that we could live in him and for him and enjoy him and love him and love like him. Let us marvel over the mercy of God, the grace of God, and be challenged by it to be his hands and his feet. This Christmas, this year, this year to follow, our lives may revolve around being the hands and feet of God in our daily life. And remember, this is the greatest gift of all. And this is not reserved for the impressive people. This is not reserved for the good kids. This is actually pre the prerequisite for accepting this gift is to know that you're sick and you need healing, to know that you have failed and that you need someone to help you out, to know that you need saving. Only then can you marvel and thank God for the fact that God saves. So I pray that God would bless you and keep you this Christmas, that he would cause his shame, face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you his peace this wonderful Christmas. I pray that you enjoy your time with your family, with your friends. And as we open up the gifts, remembering the greatest gift of all, I would recommend Luke chapter two. If you're out there and you don't know what to do today, one of the things that we do here in our household is before we start opening up the gifts, just to remember what Christmas is all about. We read through Luke chapter two. And so I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful time this Christmas. God bless you guys and be with you.